Hey, welcome to this fourth and final week of our Truth series. My name is Fernie, and I want to welcome you to this uh, episode of the Mid City Church Sermon Cast. I hope you've enjoyed this series on truth, uh, truth that we find in the Book of Ruth about who God is and and really about our, our spiritual lives. So uh, I hope you enjoy this fourth week. I hope it challenges you, and I, I look forward to uh, hearing back from you and what feedback you have in your small groups, in your conversations, and in your spiritual growth. So get ready, because here we go. Welcome to week four of our truth series. It's where we're going to connect all the dots and begin to make some sense of this beautiful story. And I have to warn you, I'm going to throw something at you completely out of left field, so much so that you're probably probably going to wonder where it came from. But it's a piece of information that I think once we know it makes a world of our difference in our understanding of this book. But before we get there, let me give you a quick recap of where we are in the story, and then we will walk through chapter four and talk about our fourth truth. So in chapter one, we found out that Naomi had a husband named Elimelech and two sons, right? Suddenly there was a famine in the hometown of Bethlehem, and the whole family decided to move to Moab, where there was no famine. And it was in Moab that uh, uh, Naomi and Elimelech's children, their two, their two sons, got married to Moabite women. And then very quickly in the story, we find out that their two sons and her husband Elimelech died. And Naomi is left with no other option than to return home to Bethlehem. And as she prepares to return home, Naomi blesses her daughters-in-law and encourages them to return back to their parents. And it's in this blessing that we find our first truth that we talked about. See, Naomi prays God's hesed or God's blessing over her daughters-in-law. And this blessing was an acknowledgement and a reminder to us that even when we face unsurmountable struggles, God is able to prevail over them. God will always prevail over them, right? So that's our first truth. The second truth we talked about is found in the second chapter of Ruth, where we wrestled with the question of, does God help those who are good and punish those who are bad? The truth we ended up with was that God does not intervene in such a way that good stuff happens to good people and bad stuff happens to bad people. That's not who God is. God is, however, a faithful God who promises to be with us at all times and in the face of all things. So instead of striving to be good in order to avoid bad, uh, we must remind ourselves that God is faithful, and that's more than enough. The third truth, which came from Ruth chapter 3, and was we talked about it last week, is that even when we feel more st- most desperate, God is still in control. So we talked about the length that Ruth and Naomi were potentially willing to go to in order to better the situation. And we talked about how we sometimes end up doing the same thing. We, we get so desperate that we go to these lengths that we otherwise wouldn't just to rectify the situation, to make it better. Now, after a year of uh, Ruth and Naomi relying on others, they became desperate enough to potentially do the very things they knew that they shouldn't. And as we talked about this truth, we wrestled with the idea that during seasons of life, when we become desperate enough uh, to want to turn things around, we sometimes find ourselves willing to do the very things that we know we shouldn't or otherwise wouldn't. But much like with Ruth, if we allow our desperation to lead us to ask for help, we might be surprised at the amount of options that become available. All it takes is a willingness to admit that we are desperate and that we need help. 
Let's not do the things that we otherwise wouldn't. Let's just reach out for help. And let me tell you, there is no shame in that. So the fourth truth that we'll be talking about today is this. In the end, things will always work out. In the end, things will always work out. So before we get to that truth, let's read through chapter four of Ruth first. Here's what it says. Meanwhile, Boaz went up to the gate and sat down there. Just then the redeemer about whom Boaz had spoken was passing by. He said, sir, come over here and sit down. So he turned aside and sat down. Then he took 10 men from the town's elders and said, sit down here. And they sat down. Okay, so scholars believe that Boaz went to the gate because it was customary to have legal business transactions at the gate. And by having other people around who could hear this transaction, it would make it a legally binding transaction. So basically, whatever Boaz is about to do to help Ruth, we know that it will be legally binding because of the location and the people who are there. The fact that there's witnesses, right? So let's keep reading. This is verse 3. Boaz said to the Redeemer, Naomi, who has returned from the field of Moab, is selling the portion of the field that belonged to our brother Elimelech. I thought that I should let you know and say, buy it in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you won't redeem it, tell me so that I may know. There isn't anyone to redeem it except you, and I'm next in line after you. And so he replied, I will redeem it. So let me pause here again. Um, at first, this is a no-brainer for the Redeemer. Based on what he knows so far, he is being offered free land, basically, right? So instantly he says, yes, I will redeem this. But first, verse 5 says this. Then Boaz said, On the day when you buy the field from Naomi, you also buy Ruth the Moabite, the wife of the dead man, in order to preserve the dead's ma- dead man's name for his inheritance. But the Redeemer replied, Then I can't redeem it for myself without risking damage to my own inheritance. Redeem it for yourself. You can have my right of redemption because I'm unable to act as a Redeemer. Okay, let's stop here. That's a major turnaround, right? Let me explain what happened. Let me explain why he changed his mind. At first, when he was being offered the free land, it made complete sense to accept it and grow his inheritance and what he would be leaving behind to his family. But once he finds out that the land comes with a catch, right, that he must also provide for Naomi and Ruth, he changes his mind uh, instantly. And honestly, if we think about it, it makes perfect sense. If he takes this land, his his inheritance does grow, but it'll also be split between more people, which isn't worth it. It's not worth uh, doing. On top of that, If he takes Ruth as a wife, and Naomi as well, and they have kids, then it makes the inheritance even more complicated, right? More people that the inheritance inheritance needs to be uh, shared with. So the Redeemer says to Boaz, if I redeem this land and this family, it's going to cause more problems for me than it's even worth, right? He basically says that. So he tells Boaz, just, you know what, redeem it yourself, Boaz which is exactly what Boaz wanted to happen. So here's what happens next, and we're in verse 7 now. In Israel, in former times, this was the practice regarding redemption and exchange to confirm any such matter. A man would take off his sandal and give it to the other person. This was, um, this was the process of making a transaction binding in Israel. Then the Redeemer said to Boaz, Buy it for yourself, and he took off his sandal. Boaz announced to the elders and all the people, Today you are witnesses that I've, brought, uh, that I've bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech and all that belonged to Kilion and Malon, the, the two children, 
and also Ruth the Moabite, the wife of Malon, I've bought to be my wife, to preserve the dead man's name for his inheritance, so that the name of the dead might the dead man might not be cut off from his brothers or from the gate of his hometown. Today you are witnesses. Then all the people who were at the gate uh, uh, and the elders said, We are witnesses. May the Lord grant that the woman who is coming into your household be like Rachel and like Leah, both of whom built up the house of Israel. May you be fertile in Ephrathath, and may you preserve a name in Bethlehem. And may your household be like the household of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah, through the children that the Lord will give to you from this young woman. Now this, this next section, we're about verse 13, it's what I like to call the happily ever after section. So listen to what it says. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. He was intimate with her, and the Lord let her become pregnant, and she gave birth to a son. The woman said to the women said to Naomi, May the Lord be blessed, who today hasn't left you without a redeemer. May his name be proclaimed in Israel. He will restore your life and sustain you in your old age. Your daughter-in-law, who loves you, has given birth to him. She's better for you than seven sons. Naomi took the child and held him to her breast, and she became his guardian. The neighborhood women gave him a name, saying, A son has been born to Naomi. They called his name Obed. He became Jesse's father and David's grandfather. Now, let me stop here because this is really important. This is where things start to get a little interesting, and I don't want you to miss it. So, after Ruth and Boaz have a child, they we're told that they decided to name this child Obed. Obed has a son named Jesse, and Jesse had a son named David. Now, you might know him as King David. You might also know him as David from David and Goliath. This is that David. And just in case you don't believe it, the author then goes on to give us a whole lineage as to how this new couple and their child is connected to King David. Here's what it says. This is verse 18. These are the generations of Perez. Perez became the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram, Ram the father of Amminadab, Amminadab the father of Nashon, Nashon the father of Salmon, Salmon the father of Boaz, Boaz the father of Obed, Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of David. Now, to be honest, this final chapter feels a lot like Disney in that it's very anticlimactic. Basically, once the drama of chapter 3 ends, they simply get married, they have kids, and live happily ever after, which in and of itself, is a great ending to a great story. But if we take a closer look and understand some historical context, we realize that this is much more than just a happily ever after story. So let me explain. In the book of Genesis, way back to the beginning of the Bible, uh, with the, the first book of the Bible, we're introduced to a character named Abram, also known as Abraham. Uh, and this guy is known as the father of Israel. He's the patriarch of Israel. In fact, throughout Scripture, God is referred to as the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And it's that Abraham. It's, this is the, the, the Abraham that we talk about through all of Scripture. And it's from Abraham that every Jewish person can trace their heritage back to. Uh, he's just a pretty important guy in Scripture, right? So in the book of Genesis, we're told that Abraham and his family, including his nephew Lot, were able to gain uh, lots of riches and livestock and tents and workers and shepherds. And in fact, their riches have grown so much that by the time we get to chapter 13 in Genesis, we are told that Abraham's shepherds and his nephew Lot's shepherds we're starting to quarrel and have a lot of conflict with each other. It's as if the, the land wasn't big enough for them to coexist anymore. 
And the conflict gets so bad that eventually Abraham goes to his nephew Lot and basically tells him, look, we can't keep doing this. This isn't healthy. This isn't okay. So Abraham offers Lot to choose a direction of land and tells him to take it as his own. And in return, Abraham promises to go the opposite direction. And he does this just to avoid any more conflict. That, that's just how bad the conflict had got. So what we end up finding out is that Lot ends up going uh, to an area that later becomes known as the Moab Mountain Range, and Abram goes west towards Bethlehem. Now, if you haven't been able to connect the dots yet, let me explain. This very close-knit family had to go their separate ways because of conflict. Now, they didn't want to separate, but in order for them to maintain the peace, this was the only way. Now, the Bible never directly says this, but can you imagine the type of pain that Lot and Abraham must have felt knowing that they weren't able to resolve their conflict? I mean, knowing that the person whom they once considered a confidant, a colleague, someone they could rely on, someone who uh, they had gone through so much with, all of a sudden that relationship falls apart. All of a sudden, they go their separate ways and stop relying on each other as much as they used to. All of a sudden, it's like they become strangers to each other. Now, don't get me wrong, there are instances where they reconnect, but never permanently. And there's a time, I think a chapter or two later, where Lot is taken prisoner and Abraham goes and rescues him. But after the rescue, they each go their separate ways again and uh, create distance between each other. Now, let me ask you, have you ever had a situation suddenly go sour? Maybe it was a relationship or a friendship or a work opportunity or a project. Have you ever had a situation that was going great and then all of a sudden it just fell apart? More importantly, if you have experienced that, have you ever tried fixing the relationship or the friendship or the job or whatever it may be? Have you ever tried fixing it only to find out that you can't? That is what Abraham and Lot are going through. As much as they love each other, as much as they care for each other, the conflict was just too big for them to coexist in the same place. So they go their separate ways. Back when I was first diagnosed with depression and anxiety, I was so afraid to deal with my diagnosis that I actually ended up creating enough conflict between myself and some people that I really cared about uh, so much that we needed separation. My anxiety and depression were so overwhelming that it just uh, I exuded conflict onto the people I cared about the most. And eventually I just had to part ways with some people or they had to part ways with me and they started doing their their own thing. Uh, and I started doing my own thing. And as we gave each other the distance we found, uh, we found that we were better off apart than we were together. And I have to tell you, as much as it hurts to come to the realization that we were better off going our separate ways, it hurt even more when I realized that there was nothing I could do to fix that broken relationship. No matter how much I apologized, no matter how much I begged for forgiveness, no matter how much I asked for another chance to fix things, the relationships were too broken to ever be fixed. Now, I can only imagine that if I shared that story with Abraham, he would be able to relate to I have, how I have felt through this experience. And my guess is that you can probably relate to this experience as well, maybe at least once in your life. Right? This, this trying to fix something, trying to repair something, a relationship, and it just can't happen. And, and, and if you have, if you know what I'm talking about, and this is why the book of Ruth is so amazing. See, on top of the generosity that Boaz gives, uh, the commitment that Ruth displays, the sacrifice that Naomi is willing to make, and even the way all the other characters play a role in this story, there is a deeper good news taking place in this story that I don't want you to miss. 
See, if you paid attention to the Genesis story, I told you that Lot and Abraham had to go their separate ways. Abraham went to Bethlehem and Lot went to Moab. And if you recall, Ruth is originally from Moab, but when Naomi returns home, Ruth makes her new home in Bethlehem. You see, this marriage, it's not just a happily ever after marriage. It's not even only about the descendants that are born out of this marriage, which David is a big uh, uh, um, descendant out of this marriage. The beautiful, deeper truth in this story is that all these years later, way after Lot and Abraham parted ways in what seemed like an irreconcilable separation, the marriage of Boaz and Ruth is, the, is also the reconciliation of Abraham and Lot. See, it's through this marriage that the two families that once had to go their separate ways now get to be reunited and reconciled. Ruth with the Moabites, and which was Lot, and uh, Boaz with Abraham. Um, see, this, this deep, um, deep in the heart of this story is the truth that in the end, things always have a way of working themselves out. In the end, every broken relationship will be made right. And, and this marriage is proof of that. Now, don't get me wrong. There are some relationships and things that will never be reconciled in our lifetime. And that's true for people like Abraham and Lot and even us. I, I doubt that I will ever be able to fully reconcile with the people I hurt as I struggle with my depression and my anxiety. Now, I know that it's possible, but I doubt it will happen. Now, as we wrap up this story, this uh, study of Ruth, I want to make sure you hear me. Things always have a way of working themselves out. It may not be on our timing, uh, on um, on the or the way we want it to be, but in the end, things always work themselves out. And I can guarantee you this: even if it doesn't happen in our lifetime, again, uh, Abraham and Lot are proof of this. God's promise is that when we get to heaven. There won't be all the thing that that there won't be these things that that uh, are irreconcilable. In fact, all things will be made right by the time we get to heaven. There is no other option in heaven. So even if things don't work themselves out right here and right now, so even if things don't work themselves out right here and right now, even if there's never any reconciliation, trust and know that in the end things will work themselves out. The marriage of Ruth and uh, um, Boaz are proof of that. And I pray that these truths may be true for you today and every day. May it be so. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Mid-City Church Sermon Cast. If you'd like to dive deeper, visit midcity.church slash sermoncast to find a home sheet that goes along with this message. On the home sheet, you'll find scriptures, questions to wrestle with, and a challenge that goes along with this sermon cast. I want to invite you to support our ministry here at Mid-City Church by giving today. To give, text the word GIVE, G-I-V-E, to the phone number 225-307-0662. Thanks and see you next week.